you start to realize that the people that you're kind of hating on are your teammates. They're people that are building alongside you. You know, when Bloomberg and CNBC is calling scam, calling Bitcoin a scam every other day, you know, and you have to fight for legitimacy, you're fighting alongside the people that you're hating on in the bull market. I'm joined here by Windra, all the way from, I think you're in Singapore right now. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me. It's uh, late in the afternoon here. Nice, nice, nice. You're a guy who travels a lot, so I would expect you to be in different places all the time. Um, thanks for jumping on the pod. I'm really excited to talk to you. We've, we've talked a lot over the past few years. And um, I think firstly, I wanted to ask you something that I'm really curious about. I've been scouring on, on Twitter the past few weeks and I've seen a lot of Windra memes from the <laughs> Element team and I'm just curious like what's the backstory behind that because I've seen some pretty funny stuff. So you know I think I'm one of the I mean everybody on the team technically is but I'm one of the ones on the team that really doesn't take anything super seriously and um, there's always we make stickers of each other on and emojis of each other for discord and for some reason, every time we like make a big announcement on Discord, my my emoji, my sticker always gets like 300 posts. So it became kind of like a like a meme. Like they always just kind of use my face as a reaction for any sort of news or anybody says anything. So they kind of just started going with that. Like we went to Eat Denver last year and they made stickers in my face and were like was like handing it out. And we had element stickers too. But my stickers like ran out really fast and people were wearing it. It became like a just just became like a joke. Like it became like a fun, you know, it became like a fun thing. And everybody was like asking, like, who is that? And, you know, they just kind of went along with it. And it's still, like I said, it's just a meme now. And, you know, it's good to be like the the meme of the team, I guess. Right. Um, it's good to see that everybody on the team is very lighthearted and we can have a good time while we're building really cool stuff. But yeah, it's good to be like the rallying point around what everybody can kind of joke about. That's so funny, especially the fact that it came out it, like it came up organically. You know, you didn't have to like force it or anything. It's like, okay, community likes this. Everyone posts Windrush stickers for whatever reason. Let's just roll with it. Yeah, I mean, it was, we had like, I mean, people were like posting it like 300, 400 times in the discord and it was it was I think pretty I've nuts. Seen that yeah since the beginning because i've yeah. been there in since the early days of element and i think i saw that as well yeah it's been but good i just never expected it to get to this level <laughs> so you're you're someone like we always talk and we always have these like very dry jokes you're always like you're one of those people who can tell a joke and keep a straight face and you never know <laughs> if you're like serious or not but a lot of times you're very serious when it comes about crypto you're very like if we open the discussion, we start talking now about specifics, you know, where you see the industry going, et cetera. You're going to put on the straight face <laughs> and start spitting out all your opinions and stuff like that, um, which is quite cool to see that dynamic between, you know, the fun and lighthearted Windra and the Windra was like super dead serious and super driven. I wanted to go back and kind of maybe in the first half of this podcast see how you got here because we've all you know it's a very young industry we all have our stories and i think correct me if i'm wrong maybe i got this wrong but you i think you started in crypto in 2017 and i was just curious or maybe earlier i'm not exactly sure i was just curious how your 
like how were your first years in crypto and what did you do specifically to get yourself here? Because you're one person that I see as completely um, overachieving this past market cycle. You've done a lot of cool stuff. You're, you know, like on the co-founding team of a very well-respected protocol. So I just want, especially since we're in a bear market, I want people to kind of hear your story and find out how you got your edge and and basically how you got to this point. So how how was your start in crypto? Yeah, so I I started in crypto, I would say probably late 2016. Um, it was still super new. I think at that time, like Ethereum wasn't really on Coinbase yet. It wasn't listed. It was still kind of like a recent launch. It's been like within a year of Ethereum launching and it was kind of started to be labeled as the next Bitcoin, uh, except with like a lot more features. You know, they, they kept throwing out this term called uh, Turing Complete. And I had to like figure out all, what all those different things meant. Um, back then, I was... You know, I come from like an economics background. So back then there were two things that were extremely par- promising from like a industry type of level and approach that you can kind of pursue. The first one in 2016 was kind of like medicinal marijuana. It was starting to get really popular back then. You know, like Colorado started to legitimize it. Um, LA started to legitimize it. So just the the study of medicine and and how medicinal marijuana was kind of something that people should really look into for healing purposes was a big industry that everybody wanted to go into. And then the other industry was this new blockchain tech, programmable money, new currency type of industry that people wanted to look into as well. So, you know, for me, because I'm heavily interested in economics, I felt like programmable money and being able to kind of design your own currency and learn what works and what doesn't and experiment. Um, I kind of took the blockchain route. And you know, that was when I started to really look into, you know, just crypto in general. I think it was early 2017 that Ethereum got listed on Coinbase. I remember it was like around three to seven dollars at the beginning. And then like my family started to talk about it. They was like, oh I just bought it at seven dollars and you know and you guys should look into it. And then I was kind of like dismissing it at first, you know, because I was still looking into Bitcoin. I was still looking into like the technology in general. And then I remember it went up to, I think about 20 to $30. And that was kind of like when I when I started to buy crypto in general and kind of like dollar cost average up. And, you know, I remember when I bought it and it was like $35. I thought I'd like missed out, you know? Like I thought it was like, oh man, funny, this, yeah? this sucks. Yeah, this sucks. Everybody else got it earlier than me. And, and then, you know, next thing you know, it was $100, right? It was $100 and then all these ICOs started coming up. And so, you know, we were starting to look into them and and at the same time trying to figure out, like, what is all of this? Like, what makes what makes one, you know, token much more valuable than the other? You know, learn about the market demands, like all these decentralized exchanges. Back then there was like Ether Delta, right? Zero X was oh, starting out. I remember Ether Delta. Yeah, there, I mean, I there remember was, Ether Delta. There was like Shapeshift, there was, you know, Zero X was launching, and then there was Brave, there was Golem, there was Gnosis. So it was like super early on, there was Neo, and we wanted to figure out, I wanted to figure out, you know, what was, what was everybody building? Because every project was so dramatically different than every other project, right? Alternative layer ones, and then there was layer two scaling for computation, and so... Uh, 
it, what was interesting to me was that every single project had to utilize their own network token differently, the way it worked, right? Incentivizing users to use the protocol might not necessarily tie to the u- usage of the token and so forth. So I kind of just yeah. stayed, I stayed in, in research uh, for a few years. Um, actually, I started to write, it was like internal nodes for project evaluation. I started to write and I started to go to conferences. I started to meet people that, uh, you know, work for investment firms in Asia, in San Francisco, in New York. <coughs> and I think I realized really quickly that I probably did a lot more research and analysis than a lot of these people do. I mean, they're just, everybody's just an ape at the end of the day. So they, they kind of like reached out to me and asked for my thoughts on specific projects. You know, I kind of did a lot of external outsourcing of research for them, uh, outsource research for them on specific projects. Was, I, this, was this still 2017 or is this yeah, like 2018 after like, the madness of the ICOs? It was still- Were you was, doing this kind of research in 2017? Because I don't know how much it counted for like doing ICOs and stuff so in 2017, so like actually doing research. The summer of 2017 was when like peak ICO. Right. And it started to really die down, I would say, after the fall of 2017. Like Icon was like the big one, right? That was like in September, October. And then towards the end of 2017, early 2018, that was when the big, I would say, layer one war started. You know, I did like this big analysis on Solana back when nobody else knew what Solana was. This was like interesting. Th- back then, I mean, back then it was like proof of. Uh, I think it was like post, it's, it was called post proof of, no, that was a different one. It was proof of history, you know, with their, yeah, yeah. yeah it was proof of history with the way that they, uh, you know, quote unquote, sharded from, you know, from the top down, looked like a pyramid. And I, I did a lot of research around just consensus algorithms in general. You know, there was like Thundercore, there was Definity, there was Algorand, right? There was um, Space Master, which was like proof of space and time, which was similar to what Chio is doing. So just reaching finality and figuring out um, you know, how to make things like, what, what do you value scaling or, or security? You know, like what's the trade-off? Is there even a way to compromise between the two back then? EOS was super hot, right? Like I remember delegated it, had like a, it had like a period of, in 2018 where they were like, I think first half of 2018 where they were actually trying to push it. And like, yeah. I remember doing this like canvas painting or something on EOS. It was project. It had like a brief moment there where it was actually used a bit and then just completely died. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, the the big battle between, oh, they only have 28 nodes. Like, are they really centralized or decentralized? Do people care? You know, and getting the perspective of different regions was extremely insightful. People like, for example, in like the Western part of the world really value decentralization and like, you know, censorship resistant and so forth. And then EOS had a really big presence in China. And I, I real, realized that uh, that region doesn't necessarily care as much about decentralization as, as scaling, as much as scaling and usability, right? Like if you can't launch an app that can host, you know, 10,000 different users at the same time, like, you know, then what's the point of being censorship resistant? It's just not going to be a chain that anybody uses. So it was super interesting to see that the tug of war in those two different, you know, aspects, security and scalability and how different regions have different opinions, right? So that was kind of how I got started in in crypto. I mean, I we worked alongside a lot of different research houses like Crypto Briefing 
And that was kind of how I got to know a lot of those guys. Uh, I think at, at that time, Andre was a code reviewer for Crypto Briefing. I remember. Right? remember? I remember when he did the code review for Holochain. That was like, yeah, the, he liked the moment it a lot. He exploded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it still hasn't launched, by the way. Oh, uh, Holochain? <laughs> I remember it. I mean, I remember he did a, a few code reviews. And that was, at that time, that was kind of new doing code reviews for projects rather than just fundamental yep. analysis. And, you know, had really good relationships with all of them, you know, overall. Um, when when the market started to die down, I thought that was a really good opportunity to learn. So I was still in the space. Like, I think one of the big tips that I give everybody is, is you're going to make it if you survive. Just like, you just have to stay in the market. As much as you think it's over or you want to do something different, I think at least 30% of your your, I would say bandwidth per per week, per day, whatever, should still be in crypto, even if the market is like fully dead, because you never know when things are going to start. And when things start, they start really fast and you miss them out. You miss out really quickly. So how did you how did you have that conviction? So what gave you that conviction? So the, to stay in or just to. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I, I, I stayed in most of the time. I never left crypto i was actually like full-time just like not doing anything else other than crypto i i did have like a podcast at some point but i was still like doing crypto part-time and i never like knew with certainty that 2020 would happen you know it just came out of the blue for like probably like for most people but i just had this like hope that okay i believe in this technology and and i hope it's gonna pan out and i think it's worth me putting my time into it like what gave you the conviction, because if you told everyone like, hey, you have to stay in because you, you don't know when it's going to like that kind of says to me that you had a lot of conviction that it would turn back around and you knew where to focus and what to focus on. And you kept on with the research, right? Yeah, I, I think having conviction is extremely important. I think you kind of have to ask yourself, like, do you believe that Bitcoin is going to hit 100K before you before you die? Right. Like if if you believe that and I think I think majority of people believe that. Right. Um, I think they believe that this past cycle yeah, didn't happen. I, I do think that it's inevitably going to happen. Um, and so if you believe that's going to happen, one of the things you don't want to do is you don't want to miss it. And I do think that it's going to happen sooner than later just because of the way that everything's moving towards this industry tech-wise. So because of that, I do think that um, it's worthwhile sticking around. So in, at the I think I, I would say middle of 2018, I took a position for business development for like a broker dealer firm that mostly focused on digital securities because I felt like I felt that if you are going to specialize in currency design in general and figuring out token engineering, uh, you have to be very well aware of what designs constitute a security and what does it, and you know taking a position there and forcing yourself to, you know, understand, you know, like to go through the process of, you know, studying for the Series 6 or Series 65. Those things help you ultimately desi- design tokens in a way that it's not a security, it's just full utility. Like what is governance? Like how do we, you know, if, if there's dividend sharing, is it a security? Yes, it is. Okay, then how do we be, you know, how do we think about this outside of the box where, you know, there's an incentive to hold it, but also there's an incentive to use it. So that was, I did that for, you know, several months. And then 
I think it was like towards the end of 2018 where DeFi started to be a thing. Um, and what caught my, my eye about DeFi was a lot of the projects that I worked, I was talking to and doing research for, I would say at the beginning of 2018. Um, this was like the latter end of 2018, right? I mean, at the latter end of the bear market, uh, bull market. So everything was starting to really wind down. Yeah, right before the crash. Yeah. yeah, I started to see a lot of those projects that I was talking to pivot to DeFi. And like DeFi was like this word that was being used a lot. This was like in late 2018. So I started to really look into it. And then I remember getting a, I think it was like February, I got a message from Andre. He said he was, he built this thing called, back then it was called Iron. He built this thing called Iron and it was kind of going, it was moving your money from, from Compound, Aave, DYDX. You know, it was earning about- This was February, 2020, right? This was February, 2020, yeah. Yeah, okay, so we skipped, we moved forward one year. Oh, yeah, sorry. So, you know, <laughs> uh, I remember getting that message and it was like 19% on your stables, which is not bad. Right. And back then everybody was in stables. Nobody was buying ETH because, you know, it was, everything was unsure. So that was when I started to kind of really use DeFi a lot more starting then. And then I remember DeFi summer, right? That was right after for that. Just going from, you know, kimchi finance, kimbap finance and sushi and yams and yam version two. And, you know, that was like all the madness that happened with with uh, DeFi Summer, but the whole time, I, I I really wish something like Element was kind of in existence because, you know, in order to earn rewards on specific things, you have to like buy the native token or gain, have some form of exposure yeah. to it. And like what Element, even though mechanically it's a fixed rate protocol, you could kind of sell your principal and just hold on to the yield, which is the interest that you're earning. So for me, it's like, if I can go into kimchi, I have to buy kimchi, right? Vimchi, I'd have to LP into it. And then I'm earning the rewards. And if I could sell the underlying position and just keep the APY and go back into like ETH or USDC, if I think that's going to appreciate ETH, um, I would love to do that. And I, you know, it's, it's a risk hedging protocol technically. So you know, I wish something like that had existed. And then I remember, you know, I got connected with with Will and Johnny in August of, you know, so towards the end of DeFi summer. And we were talking about all these things. We were talking about yield and yield space and really extending fixed rates to native governance tokens in different markets. And we started to really pursue it. And I, mean, I think we studied yield space and we thought the AMM made a lot of sense. And then, you know, he, you know, put together the team, you know, Will and Johnny's, they're great co-founders and and yeah, I've been there since, you know, and it's been it's been great. Okay, so that's kind of your story, and that's how you got to Element. I wanted to ask you. Um, so first off, from everything you said, I find it quite funny that there are there's a a, a parallel universe where Windra is smoking weed every day because he got into the <laughs> weed industry yeah. instead of crypto, <laughs> and you're not. You have like a different demeanor and everything. Um, when you were researching in 2018, 2019, like, what do you think was your edge? What were the kind of things like, like for people, let's say, because obviously the space is different now, but for people who want, who have this drive to research all the time, like what were some of, what, what are some of the tips that you would give? What are, what are the, let's say the research alpha that you were doing that nobody else was doing 
and made you understand stuff better than other people. In what time frame were you asking? In 2018 to 2019? Like or? when you were just when you were working with crypto briefing, like when you were doing research and stuff like that. That was your focus, right? In yeah. The, in the bear market, just doing research. I think you have to be competitive, right? You have to, because the whole market is competitive. It's finding the edge and being ahead of the curve is something that you either, I think, I, I think competitive people have in general. Like if you're either a gamer or an athlete, you have that. And crypto was super interesting because to me, it's like a, this big game. It's like a, a game where there's no guide. Like it doesn't, nobody's like guiding you from one place. There's no tutorial, right? It's just, you just know that if you're the first one to figure things out, you're going to end up way ahead of everybody else. So it's like critically thinking about solving tough problems and being creative in the way that you do it. And that I thought was super interesting, right? So if that was, if that's something that is interesting to you, just being able to solve problems and seeing the rewards that you can reap from it, because you're the first one to, you know, kill a raid boss or whatever. You know, I think gamers do really well in crypto in general because it's that that same aspect of an approach. Similar, of, yeah. Exactly. So I think, you know, you know, for people in general, being motivated is just it happens if you're competitive, but also being able to surround yourself with other people that are like minded is actually something that can help you stay in the market. Um You'd be surprised. Like when it's the bull market, it's loud. You have a bunch of friends and you guys, you know, you, you, you like the same things, you hate the same things. And then you realize that as the market starts to really take a downturn, that circle gets smaller and smaller. People leave. Right. And so, you know, you, you learn a lot from just that process itself. You learn about who's really committed long term in the space, but also you begin to discover that everybody in this space is kind of working towards the same goal and you know they're more likely your teammates than not which is one of the most frustrating things i think i've see, i see in the bull markets all the time it's it's how it's very pvp like like people hate on each other they hate on protocols um and i don't want to say it's it's mostly people that are young that make this mistake it's i think it's mostly people that are young in the space that make this mistake because it's the first time, it's their first market cycle. When when things get really bad, like when the market is dead quiet and nobody else is here except you and like five other people, you start to realize that the people that you were kind of hating on are your teammates. They're people that are building alongside you. You know, when Bloomberg and CNBC is calling scam, calling Bitcoin a scam every other day, you know, and you have to fight for legitimacy, you're fighting alongside the people that you were hating on in the bull market for that legitimacy. Yep. So, you know, having gone through that, I mean, you realize that people can label you and a protocol that does the same thing as you as competitors. But ultimately, I think we're all fighting against getting adoption, right? Like, how do we become legitimate? How do we, there's so much money out there, trillions and trillions of dollars that get entered a space. And anything that I do could help you know, a quote unquote, a similar protocol, anything that they do that brings capital in can help me, you know, maybe, maybe me and protocol B kind of do the same thing and protocol B brings in a billion dollars. And then when, when that billion dollar enters the door, they start to look for better options and all of a sudden have a better product and they become my on-ramp, you know? And so 
it's it's that kind of approach that I think is important to have uh, approaching this market, that it's not zero sum, that everybody's kind of working towards the same direction. And I think that helps uh, because you don't, you don't get tired or burnt out from competition. You 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 still continue to stay motivated and and um, you want to stay and build in the space because everybody's achieving the same goal. So uh, I think those are things that I think is important to kind of take away from from what I've seen in in previous market cycles. Yeah, you need competition, and I would argue that you know all the competition that Ethereum gets and all these all these threats like oh will it be the platform that achieves adoption first. Etc. Just puts healthy pressure on people to actually deliver. Um, so competition is always good. So you were okay. So you were researching a lot. That was your edge. But also you you were also talking to a lot of people. You were networking a lot. Um, so obviously, some people might get their 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 edge by doing really good research. And we've seen that there's like so many Twitter accounts, etc. But you're someone who's really well connected and really well respected in the space. But you don't have like a huge following on Twitter. You're not like, you know, like, I don't want to say influencer, but you're not like, <laughs> let's maybe say like a public thought leader. Um, like you are a thought leader, but not, you know, you don't have a, a big Twitter presence or like a YouTube channel or like lots of interviews with Windra out there. So how important do you think it is to to balance that and to like build a network? And what do you suggest people do? Because I know you gave me some good advice on this. Like what do you suggest people do in order to, enhance their network in crypto because it's it's one of the one of the key areas of success right yeah who you know and like the people you surround yourself with um because you just get different access to information different conversations and you progress much faster than if you're by yourself just researching projects yeah so i think you know be value positive right if you have something to offer you know always be willing to help i think those are like some of the approaches that i've kind of taken since 2016. I hardly say no in general. I have a lot of mentees. Um, it can get you burned, however. So, you know, the reason I don't, I mean, to answer your question, like why don't I have a large audience on on Twitter or, or you know, whatever, YouTube, um, the, the more attention you have on yourself, the more people come to you for help or advice or anything. And sometimes mm -hmm. I just, I don't have the bandwidth to to do all those things one of the things that i learned from 2017 2018 because i was always like yes right i'm yes sure i'll help um 2017 and uh one of the things i, I learned is that majority of the people are extremely transactional it's kind of like they need help mm. they, they a lot of a lot of a lot of people ask for stuff but won't help you with anything um so you kind of have to balance those things out like okay so um i don't want any more attention uh, because then people are like, oh, I, I, I need a mentor. I need a mentor. And then, you know, they end up doing not so great things. So, and then, you know, that like eats up, you know, one hour, two hours out of my week, every single week for like the next three months. And so, you know, I, I just kind of let things happen organically. Um, I think the people that I know that, you know, behind the scenes or that I talk to in person, um, I kind of just try to foster those relationships. Um, but at the same time, you know, I'm still open to kind of helping people get onboarded into the space. So that's one of the reasons I just don't, I try to stay away from having a large audience is for that reason. But it really just depends on the person, right? If you are able to tune people out and 
you believe that you are very charismatic and, you know, you want to be, you have information that you think helps a lot of people, um, then by all means, you know, build your audience, be useful, like publish things up. You think people want to read, right? Help people, help people do things with their lives easier. I think those are like some of the things that help capture a quick audience. But but yeah, I hope that answers the question. I'm not sure if it does. Yeah, no, it was it was mostly about like how yeah, how you connect with other people. Um because yeah, the one path is to have an audience. The other path is just building your network in crypto and as you said, you know, like offer something valuable, etc. But what if I'm, um, you know, because some people that are watching might like this might have been their first cycle or they've been in crypto for like a year or something, or maybe they're just getting into crypto now. Um, so if you're a crypto newbie, obviously it's it's easy for you now, Windra, because you're positioned in a certain way. You work at a great company. You've done the work. It's much, much easier for you to have success now. It's much easier for me to have success now. But what if you're like, what if someone's just coming into the industry right now? What's the advice that you would give them? Because it's definitely not as one dimensional as it was when we joined. Like there's so much stuff happening. Yes. So many different areas uh, that are completely different. DeFi, NFTs, layer ones, layer twos, et cetera. Uh, what would your advice be for them if they want to to build their network and make it in so, crypto? So I think what's cool about, I think you kind of touched on this before uh, just now. You said, Crypto is a lot more generic. There's a lot more, you know, different angles that you can take. Back in 2017, 2018, you could really only do like two to three different things, right? NFTs wasn't a big boom. There was no really, there was no DeFi. I mean, it was just mostly like consensus algorithms and layer ones and development on that front. Now it's, you know, do you like games? Do you like GameFi? Do you like, do you like NFTs? Do you like DeFi? Do you like finance? Do you like infrastructure? Do you like security? And so, my my advice would be for anybody who's at their first market cycle and they really want to get involved in this space is find something you like, you know, whether that's DAO participation or governance or DAO tooling or anything. Find something you like and just get involved in communities that resonate with you because and be active, right? So if I like, if I'm a big finance guy and I like, you know, I like collateralized lending and under collateralized lending, you know, like what's stopping me from getting super involved in makers, you know, governance forums and and compounds governance forums and offering my thoughts and then talking on their Discord and then, you know, putting my address on the bottom, my my ENS address on the bottom, say, hey, if you like the things I say, please delegate to me. You know, because day by day, the more I post on those forums and people like what I'm saying, I'm gonna get delegates. You know, and then eventually I'm going to be a big time delegate. And then when the next market cycle comes around, that carries a lot of weight. If you're a maker delegate, that's a big deal. If you're a compound delegate, that's a big deal. So I would say find the things that you really like to do. And because everything is open, you know, communities are open, technology, everything, code is open. It's really easy to just get involved. And you don't have to be an engineer. You know, I'm not an engineer. People yeah, need- I think that's key. You, you know, marketing, branding, community development, you know, product managers, people who can rally everybody together to like schedule a community call and host Twitter spaces. Like these are all things that are necessary in this space. Like, And so, you know, I think that some people kind of get scared that they're not an engineer and they don't know how to build stuff. But that, that, 
that the, the dilemma on the other side is engineers know how to build. And then all of a sudden they have this product. They're like, I don't know what to do with that. How do I sell this to people? How do I build? A, I've never built a community ever. Like, I don't know how to talk to people. I don't know how to fundraise. And it's like, they need those people to come in and help, you know, more than ever now, especially because, you know, for like NFTs, it's, you know, it's who can build communities, who can be creative with what, how you could grow an ecosystem from an NFT to something more, you know, and those are things that are not necessarily, you know, dev or engineer driven. It's mostly like art and creative creativity driven. So, uh, you know, that's kind of my advice on that front is to just get involved in the things that you really like to do because you'd be surprised at how how close to heart some of these interests are in regards to Web3 and you can really get involved in some of these things. And that's a really good way to stay in, stay in the space when you're doing something that you really like to do and you have genuine interest in. Then it, it's, it's, you don't have to force yourself to look into those discussions every day. You just look at them because you genuinely like them. And then when the market picks up and things are starting to take off, you have ownership. You, you all of a sudden from all the, the equity, sweat equity that you've built in those, you know, in that one to two years that everything was down, you now have equity and then you kind of just kind of reap the upside and you can start to really expand your brand when there's a lot more eyes in the space. You know, you can go from a maker delegate to all of a sudden, you know, another protocol reaches out to you and wants you to be the advisor of their new DeFi protocol because they value everything that you've ever written on that forum. And that's how you kind of get started, you know, for, for anybody who's kind of new and this is kind of like their first time. Okay, so put yourself out there, whether it's, you know, developing a social media presence, whether it's just like writing in Discord, commenting on governance proposals, doing all that stuff that basically makes you visible, makes people understand that, hey, you can be valuable. And then obviously all of that during this during a bear market is positioning. And when eventually things turn around and attention comes through, so will opportunity. And it's kind of what you did, right? I mean, you, you, you liked finance a lot. You started researching DeFi and turns out that DeFi was the big trend that launched this whole bull market. And on top of that, you were also close, close to Andre who like launched so many projects that people went, went crazy yeah. for. Uh, including Wi-Fi that went absolutely crazy. Uh, and you were there for DeFi Summer, et cetera. So like, yeah, all, all the work that you did for those two, three years before 2020 really paid off in your case, right? Yeah, so exactly. I that's... And and I, di I didn't do anything, or at least at that time, I, I don't consider myself doing as anything special. Like I didn't build Maker. I didn't build Compound. I didn't build Uniswap. All I did was kind of survive, right? Have conviction, stick around find opportunities, find things that interest me. And then when things pick up, everybody kind of, I believe everybody kind of makes money, right? And then, and people remember the ones who stick around because you kind of have that experience and that insight um, from just kind of doing analysis and, and studying what's been happening in the space. And so you can kind of help guide people in the right direction. So, um, you know, that's kind of like my take. Of course, now, you know, with Element, I do think it's something special. So you know, I kind of like take another step towards being a builder and really forcing myself to stay focused in terms of what it is that we're doing and being specialized in it. But, you know, anybody can, there's any route, there's a route that anybody could take, right? If you're, mm -hmm. you know, I, I mentioned the governance forum posting thing. When I talk to venture capital firms and funds, governance as a service and just being like a participant in, in governance in general 
is something that they're looking for, that they're trying to, it's, it's an invaluable uh, resource and specialty that not many, many people can offer. And so if you can be somebody's governance guy, like it's a huge deal, right? If you can, yeah. So that's like another thing. Like if you're, if you like those kind of things. So, you know, if you're, you can be somebody's community person, you could be somebody's community development person. And, you know, there's so many different things that you could do. Very interesting. Has, has there been any point during this um, bear market, like any failure that he had, any setback that made you think about quitting crypto or like not dedicating as much time? Was there like, what was the point where you were at your lowest with your crypto convic- conviction or was there none? I mean, there could be none. You could have just had crazy conviction throughout. Like I, I've always, I've always had, I think you kind of, you kind of lose a little bit of conviction. I would say it falls at the bottom of the bear market, right? That's when everybody's kind of capitulating and everything. So, um, I remember, I think it was what, February or, or no, it was, it was Black Tuesday uh, when Maker, I think Ethereum went to like $70, $80. There was like this cascading liquidation doubt. I think that the was- The first time or the second time? The first time. <laughs> yeah, the first okay, time. 2018. Yeah. No, no, the no. The double digit shitcoin profit. It, it was, um, it was not, I don't think it was 2018. Um. I was trying to figure out when it was. Um, oh, the double bottom in 2019? Because it bottomed, it went back to... I think it was 2020. It was... Oh, so the COVID crash. Yeah, it, it was... I remember when Ethereum went down to $70 and that was one of the... I, I, I didn't lose conviction, but it, it was when I legitimately thought things like Ethereum could, could go to zero. Like, I think it a little bounce, but... I think there's a possibility that, oh, things can really just go to zero here, you know, because everything looked really, really bad. Um, luckily, it did it, and everything started to pick up after that. But uh, that was probably like the lowest point. I mean, I got liquidated, you know, it was kind of like a, there was kind of like a time to start over. I think I started over again with like five digits, like four to five, like, and then, yeah, like, I got 20. Like, like um, Black Tuesday. Yeah, I yeah, remember the, the COVID crash. Yeah, it was it the yeah I think it was yeah it was the COVID crash. It was like March. There's nothing else. It was it was yeah, March 2020. Yeah, March 20th. March 12th. Yes, March 13th. March 12th. March 13th. Yeah, that was when shit. It was like it was bad. I mean, it was bad because wait. So you were like you had everything um, on on compound or something? Yeah, I had and, I had what? a lot on you Maker. Had... I had I had a lot on Maker, and it was it kept going down. And I was like, okay, it's it's kind of probably recover. So I just top up more ETH, top up more ETH to fix, you know, because the health factor has to stay, I mean, relatively healthy. And then it just kept going down and would not stop. And I think at at one point, like I just realized that there's nothing else I could do if it goes down BL below specific margin. We're gonna get gonna get wrecked. So and then I ended up getting liquidated on that position. Um, but it was a, I mean, I guess it was a good time to start over. Because, you know, on Twitter, everybody was miserable. So I talked to a lot of my friends who also got liquidated. And it was kind of like a starting starting over process for all of us. So it was kind of motivating. Wow. And it, it wasn't hard. It wasn't the, the hardest thing in the world because uh, you kind of had like a organically formed support group where everybody was coping at the same time. So, you know, it was it was something that 
was like a test of resilience, resiliency. So, you know, okay, like what do we do from here? You know, and then luckily, you know, things went the way that they did and, and you it know, was a crazy recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Was- I mean, I was in a similar situation, but I didn't get liquidated. I, I got into these uh, projects in 2019 that were um, very illiquid and I didn't, I realized now that I didn't understand um, liquidity and why liquidity is king. And I got stuck in these like very illiquid positions. Mm-hmm. And when March, 2020 came, I remember the same thing. Like my, my portfolio went to like, I, I could not imagine like how the hell did I get to this low of a figure? And it was even more painful because I was stuck in those illiquid projects with way too much of my portfolio. And there was mm-hmm. nothing I could do. Like I couldn't sell. I, could, I was just watching. Um, I still had some liquid portfolio and that's what I used like throughout DeFi summer, et cetera. Um, but yeah, it was like, it was, it was like almost, I wasn't even desperate or anything. I was just like, it was just apathy. It was like, yeah. okay, time to start over. Yeah. Like, what else can I do? <laughs> yeah, and I think some, it some is what people, it is. Some people would rather stick around. Some people would give up entirely and go do something new out of the space. And you know, it's it's one of those moments where you really have to make a decision, and your conviction is put to like a really big test, right? So, you said liquidity is king, and I agree because I think some of the biggest winners don't necessarily have to be going into like the seed round of some crazy project that's super hyped up. I think you could buy Matic at like 50 cents. Oh no, you could buy Matic. I remember it was like one less than one cent. At You know, in the bear market, you could have bought Solana at 50 cents. You know? And oh yeah, so, so many stories like this. Yeah. ThorChain. Like, exactly. You so many of them, yeah. You could have bought, I forgot, what was the other one that I thought was super interesting? You could have bought... Um, Acropolis, I think it did like a 500x. It was like one of the early DeFi pivots. Yeah. And so like, yeah, yeah, yeah. for me, it's like, as long as you really pay attention in the space and you take a bet on some of the, some of the ones that you have deep conviction for, uh, peak bear market when everything's at its low, like it's only up from there, right? Yeah, so, but you have to pay attention to the narratives because there there are a lot of projects that have done well this cycle that will never return to all-time not. highs. Of course not. So you have to be really because all these examples that we're talking about, they were like there were people who saw them and they were like, okay, th- these have potential, but lots of them didn't like do crazy returns. Yeah. So if you want the crazy returns, you actually have to like nail even if they're existing projects, you have to nail the upcoming narratives. Yeah. So it really matters where the industry is heading and what people think about. And obviously what will be used because DeFi was I think DeFi was the first time that we actually used Ethereum properly. Mm-hmm. Like because before then we would just send tokens to a centralized exchange. Tokens would pump on narratives. They wouldn't really pump on any kind of usage whatsoever. And it was only DeFi somewhere where, okay, you added liquidity, you had Uniswap. Um, all of a sudden you realize, oh, like this is how a decentralized yeah. protocol can actually function. And now you can actually build out all those primitives and all the stuff that that will be used. So I think, and obviously we've, we've it, it kind of felt, I don't know if it felt for you as well, like in 2021, it kind of felt like everything that was, was meant to be built for this cycle was already built. Like there was no extra layer of innovation that could happen in that short of amount of time. And I think you needed this period where things calm down so that yeah. people can regroup, start building. And now they're building the next innovations, yeah. the next things that will will determine the next wave, which 
what do you think uh, they will be? So, like, what are you positioning? That's a nice segue. Like, what are you positioning for? What do you think are the... Because we have a lot of stuff. Like, like we have macro... I'm, I've been sidelined for a while now. And, and I, I expect the market to go lower. But then there's, like, doomers now who think, like, oh, the you know, like NASDAQ is not going to... No, yeah, they think, like, it's going to take 10 years until, like, the stock market and stuff makes new highs. Um, so, you know, it, it can get more bearish than this um but yeah like what what we have regulation we have the macro uh, we have lots of stuff that could impact what protocols might be used in the future so what do you think are the the trends that you can identify now obviously more can pop up in the future so i you know if you were to tell me like okay where the like today is like the bottom of the bear market and everything is at its all-time low you know things that i would bet on are things like optimism Right, layer two scaling solutions. Like, imagine if optimism yeah. just drops to like twenty five cents, and like you know, and it's you believe that the future of crypto in general and Ethereum is layer twos, and you think that optimism is maybe not the biggest winner, but one of the biggest winners, and you have conviction for the team. Like, I would take a bet on something like that. Uh, in regards to what I think is going to drive, not necessarily drive, but the next market cycle, but ne but necessarily necessarily, but drive the next phase of usage for crypto and Ethereum in general. I think that's a lot of um, Web3 native decentralized social media applications. Like, mm. who's going to build the, a decentralized, like a proper decentralized YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, right? Where you own your content, but it's, it's, it's censorship resistant in a way, but still has censorship to ensure that it's safe for kids. And, you know, it's like a YouTube kind of thing, like a, like a council that reviews content and so, so forth. Yeah. You need moderation. Yeah. Obviously you need content moderation. Like people who think like, oh, everything is immutable and stuff like that. Like, yeah. how is that ever going to work? You need some moderation, but also you need the algorithms to be transparent exactly. and not influenced by click 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 yeah here are my ads so i think if you take that out of the equation it changes the yeah whole, it does the whole way the algorithm performs yeah i think th just those ways where you really undercut the middleman and you give the content creators a lot more of the monetary incentives and gain i think those are going to really shape forward i mean i think that's really web3 i think that's what web3 actually is like it's like internet internet 3.0 where you know your your Chrome is decentralized, your search engines are decentralized, your you know your social medias are decentralized, and so you know I think that we're headed in a in a I don't know if you necessarily call it a creator economy. It's kind of like a contractor economy, right? If you see Airbnb and Uber and Instagram, everybody kind of works for themselves, and they can kind of decide when they want to work and how they want to work and their hours. Like, I think eventually there's going to be other jobs where it's, you know, you kind of work for like a decentralized contractor type of role. You know, it could be like a, like a freelance, you know, lawyer or something, right? Where you really make all the money or you can be a decentralized, you know, music producer, director, anything. And, and the, the contracts and the people, the, the musicians are getting getting paid what they they deserve and it's not like being undercutted you know so it's like stuff like that there's a lot of this in music nft space yeah exactly like looking at that a lot. yeah and yeah. so well you know i think that's the next way but then you know 
I don't think our infrastructure right now is ready to scale. You know, yes. it's like Solana's down a lot at the moment. And I think it's going to eventually get fixed and it's going to be more up than down. And so, you know, and, you know, these are specific different layer ones that possibly could help get adoption for some of these decentralized applications. But uh, I think that's going to be where where the normies and the retail users, where they don't really know that it's using the blockchain, but it's, it is. Uh, they're just, they just, what they do realize is they're making more money um, and it's easier to use and they own their content. That's like, oh, I don't know how this works, but I own my stuff now. You know, I have to take it down That's anytime I want. Yeah. And so, you know, I think implementing that feature is is just the ownership of something. The ownership of whatever I make is is key. So um, that's where I think everything is going to go. Um, I do think it's going to take several years. I think it might not, we might not see anything until maybe 2025, you know, uh, but technology does move faster than we anticipate. So, you know, it, I wouldn't be surprised if it happens, like really starts to wrap up in one to two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it, it will be front run, you know, and and one of the feelings that you had if you were there for DeFi Summer was that, like, I remember thinking we had DeFi Summer, which is like a crazy, crazy bull run, like crazy mania. You had, you had like all the characteristics of a bubble, and I remember Bitcoin still hadn't gone past its all-time high. Like it only passed its all-time high in December, which was like four months after DeFi summer ended. And I remember after DeFi summer, we had like a huge correction, like mm-hmm. 50%. Like these tokens went down like 70%, like all these DeFi tokens. And I remember people were debating me and they were like, oh man, um, it, this is not a bull run. This is not a bull market, et cetera. And I was like cautious. I was like, you know what? Like I kind of feel this weird confidence. I actually think we're going into a massive bull run and I was positioning accordingly and people didn't believe it until Bitcoin went past its all-time high, but the innovation and and the stuff like the signs of a different narrative had already been happening for six months. So whenever it happens next, because remember like even in 2019, after we, we crashed to 3K BTC, it seemed like everything was dead. And then we had that crazy... IEO period with Binance and stuff, yeah, like when launch Matic pad. came out and yeah, the launch pads and that was like a like a mini like mini bull run on alts for like okay. two, three months, you know. So yeah. you're always gonna have periods like this. And I think it will be front run before the technology is actually like fully in use by the market. Um so I agree with that. Uh, I also think like user experience and stuff like that definitely needs to get better and security to the point where you don't have to use harder wallets for everything and like sign every transaction. I have no idea how that will be done at a technical level, um, but I think it's important because not everyone's going to be a geek like us to just like use a harder wallet and like interact with all these protocols in like a really, really difficult way, which was the case with Element. Like when I was using Element at the beginning, I didn't understand. Like I was <laughs> okay, like what am I doing now? Like I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, okay, how do I take my money out, etc. Which leads me to, to my next question because I would really love to discuss maybe the future of DeFi and what waves you think are important in DeFi. Like I, I keep reading on Twitter People seem to place big bets on, um, they think under collateralized lending is going to be a big thing once that takes off. Um, obviously, fixed rates and whatever else element can morph into. I think it's, I think you guys are really well positioned uh, to take advantage of stuff there. And particularly with element, I think you have like a big hype cycle um, end of last year where 
you had a, like hundreds of millions of dollars in TVL, like total value locked in your protocol. And I think a large part of that, maybe you have an opinion, was people speculating that there would be an airdrop like they did on, like with 2021, people were already expecting airdrops and they were just using protocols expecting that that might happen. Uh, and now your TVL has dropped to like 30 million or something like that. So how, like, tell me more about how you see Element, how you think, this this drop, like, what do you think affected this drop in particular? What do you think you can improve about the protocol? And how do you see it fitting? And what do you think are these narratives in DeFi that will 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 bring the next wave of innovation in decentralized finance that will actually make people uh, want to use it on a on a daily basis? Yeah. So I'm I've also always been like a credit homer. Like I believe that credit lending is kind of the future of. Uh, of yields in general, because as things start to mature, the only thing you could really sell is risk and credit is risk. So, you know, I can go to my bank today and get a credit loan and I'm paying 8%, right? So if, if the most mature markets in the world right now, which is like, you know, developed nation banking, if they're still charging you or they can still charge you 8% on credit lending, that means that DeFi could charge you 8% on credit lending. And that would be like at the most mature bottom level, bottom layer form. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, the only difference is that, you know, where where, do they, where does the bank get that money? They get that money from somebody depositing to their savings account. They don't tell you that they take that money and give it to somebody so they could eight, earn 8% on it. Um, the difference is that in DeFi, like whoever lends out their money is the one that's getting that 8%. So, you know, I I like under collateral. I mean, to an extent, I like under collateral lending. I do think that it still needs to be developed a little bit more. Uh, element, we've been looking at that a lot. Like, how do you 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 because we could technically create fixed rates by stripping away a credit lending position, but still having some type of a backstop product on top to ensure that your fixed rates are guaranteed. So you could sell like you know if you you could buy a fixed rate that's unprotected. So if it defaults to zero you lose your fixed rate or you could say instead of earning, you know, say 7% on my fixed rate, I'm happy with just earning 5% and this person who's earning 2% is backstopping my fixed rate position. And at the end of the day, that's a 5% fixed rate on your USDC. That's a great deal, you know, at the bottom of the bear market. So that's where I think a lot of the DeFi yields are going to come from. It's always going to come from risk. You know, people that are willing to take the risk are going to get the higher returns. But if we could package together products, structured products that could absorb some of those risks and still get people to trust and be comfortable using those, getting those positions, like I think that's definitely like a, a good, good way, good direction to take. In regards to Element and the whole TBL drop, like you mentioned, going to 30 million, um, peak DeFi, I'm talking about just not talking about Element in general, just talking about DeFi in general. Peak DeFi TBL, I think it was about $256 billion. And if you go into DeFi Pulse right now, I think the, def- the current total value lock in DeFi total is $27 billion. So DeFi as a whole has retraced about 90%. So, you know, it would be unreal. I, I would say it's unrational for us to panic if our TBL has gone down by 90%, uh, when kind of you look at the broader ecosystem, the entire space has lost 90% of its value, right? Of course, a lot of that has been attributed to things like Terra, 
and other, you know, unfortunate circumstances of deep pegging. But, you know, we're at, when we talk to users, when we talk to people that are capital deployers in the space, um, a lot of them have lost a lot of trust in DeFi in general because of what happened with things like Terra. So, you know, a lot of what we've been focusing on is regaining that trust. Um, maybe that's through different forms of new users. Right? How do we create a product where people know that the risk of a DPEG is non-existent or the risk of a default is non-existent? And so, you know, part of the reason we're going to Singapore is to kind of tap into new users. Part of the reason why we're going around is because, you know, we're trying to rebuild a level of trust that, you know, for some hasn't been built yet and for others it's been lost. And so, you know, and it's, like I said, it's indicative in the overall stats of crypto in general. Right, DeFi TBL going down by ninety percent. So uh, we're not too worried about it. Our version two has been under production for a few months now. It's currently under audits. Um, our version two is coming out. I would say, I hope, uh, maybe early next year. Um, you know, we want to be able to feature new yield sources. We want to be able to have deposits of users be much more capital efficient with the new AMM and asset delegation. So these are all things that we can kind of build in peace because now that the market is kind of quiet, um, it's a lot easier to think about things and innovate. Uh, I know you mentioned this earlier where like, oh, you know, you kind of look at the space and you see that there's nothing left to build. Uh, when you become a builder, you start to realize that, oh, I want to build this, I want to build that, but but this infrastructure doesn't exist or that thing doesn't exist and you wish it existed and, you know, and you end up, building it yourself and and that's kind of the advice i give to people that are interested in building like some like a pro like a pro and con kind of like pro side when you build you start to realize everything that's missing in the space that yeah, you're like oh i want to build this thing but like we don't have, there's there's no proper insurance solution that could cover more than just smart contract risk like what happens if there's a dpeg like is there insurance for that if there's a front end exploit you know if there's a multi-sig exploit is that covered you know because people that want insurance don't care for how it got exploited. They just, if it's an exploit, they want their money covered. Yeah. And it's yeah, yeah. like like that type of insurance doesn't exist. And, you know, we can go around and say, oh, but everything's been, everything's been built. And then when you start to build, actually build stuff, you're like, wow, this is, this doesn't exist. You know, that doesn't exist. Like I want to, I want to aggregate and get yields from Cosmos or from Avalanche. And there's just not a, efficient bridging solution that I can trust that isn't going to get exploited. And like, these are all things that just really doesn't exist. They don't exist yet. And it's, I, that's why I still think as, 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 early, as late as people might think that we are, or as de well developed as people think we are in DeFi, uh, there's still so much that hasn't been built. You mentioned, you mentioned under collateralized lending and credit lending and reputation on chain. Like these are all things that just hasn't been, you know, there's, it's not mature yet. You know, and, and I wish yeah, that, yeah. you know, what I what I meant uh, when I said that it felt like nothing else could be developed was people were expecting, like basically you had Uniswap V2 and then you had Uniswap V3 come out the next year and then people were expecting the next, you know, zero to one, one to two innovations to come in the next few months from new protocols and it's just unrealistic. Yeah. Like everything that could have been built in that paradigm, I think was built yeah. and everything else, as you saw, it devolved into like, all these like, you know, Ponzinomics, stuff like that, cultish 
stuff like you had spell you had ohm you had all this stuff um and and as you said in order for us to take the next leap in innovation there's all this stuff that needs to be built that's not there so even if people had these ideas to build stuff in 2021 it was just not possible because mm-hmm. the infrastructure and the required um pieces weren't built yet yeah exactly and even now like i think we still have a long ways to go uh for everything yeah even you know? with scaling like even even transactions like yeah they're chill now transaction costs are chill now because nobody's using this stuff where like two two way or something on ethereum but <laughs> if you if you if you put the activity from peak boron again it would the the fees would skyrocket again yeah right? how, how do you see it as as infrastructure comes um from my standpoint, maybe I'm in an echo chamber. Like I'm always trying to be conscious of the fact that I might be in an echo chamber. Um, but then I keep I keep just revolving to the same point that I just everything I use is on Ethereum, most of the things that I use. I don't want to dismiss other platforms. Uh, there are other platforms that have gotten traction. Um, I have lots of respect for Solana. Like I definitely want to scoop that up because I, I think they're well positioned. Um, there's others as well. But one that I've seen talked about a lot maybe only in my circles or maybe maybe it's like real people are raving about cosmos um yeah. and i'm curious how you think because it's it's a similar vision to ethereum solana's solana's different you have like aptos and sui and all the new mm-hmm. stuff that's coming out there's still this like fight for um who's going to be the the base layer how do you see this evolving? Like, will there be a base layer? Like, is it going to be like multi-chain? Is it going to be something like, you know, like how we have now with every big um, industry, that we, like iOS versus Android, um, Apple versus Samsung, you know, like in every industry, it seems like you have two or three players that get 80, 90% of the market share. How do you see those those scaling wars um, evolving? Because you mentioned, sorry, one last point. You mentioned you mentioned you would want to look at getting DeFi yield from Cosmos, I presume an element, but the bridging solutions are not there, so yeah. you can't actually do that. Yeah, yeah so exactly. How, how do you think about that? So it's, I do still think that. I mean, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in Ethereum. Like no matter what, like I'm a big ETH maxi, not really ETH maxi, but a big believer. I do think that the future is cross-chain, multi-chain. Uh, different chains have different usages. I think Solana is built for payments. You know, I think it's built for financial quick throughputs and transactions. Um, In regards to what you mentioned about Cosmos and all these new Aptos, Sui, and all these new, you know, layer ones coming down, I think they they realize that, you know, there's still an opportunity to onboard significantly more engineers into the space, right? I think that the ones that are being onboarded by Aptos, for example, using Moo, um, it's a value positive to the entire space if they can onboard former Facebook engineers and Google engineers to use Aptos, right? Because then they can build really cool technology there and, you know, enhance the overall maturity of the space. You know, I so no matter what gets built on whatever chain, I think that is it's going to be value positive for the space overall because some people just maybe they don't like they they don't want to learn solidity, but they're you know they want to type in Rust or you know and you know they're just interested in that side. So I think that's going to happen. But but the maturity in bridges I think is a key component here because bridges eventually drive transactions from one asset chain to another, and uh, we're still in the very early stage of 
of bridge development, I believe. Uh, there's still going to be a lot of growing pains. You know, you've seen the exploits um, across bridges because it's just such a new and complex uh, form of technology, especially in Web3, that I think they still need to be battle-tested for some time, meaning that there's still a lot of money to be lost uh, for anybody who's providing liquidity on some of these bridges because a majority of the exploits, I believe, hasn't been discovered yet. But the moment mm. that the moment that bridging solutions have been battle-tested and are great and are efficient, you can see some extremely amazing things happen in, in regards to user experience. Right. To be able to just say, I'm going to deposit my USDC to this wallet or this protocol. And this protocol moves my asset from one chain to another across 200 different DeFi protocols uh, to earn the best yield possible. It's just, it's going to be very exciting to see. But we're still a long ways from that. I okay. Okay. So multi chain yeah, at I, some I, point in the future. I do think so. I think so. Just because, you know, there are trade-offs, but there's a lot of different, you know, different opportunities for people to build, you know, yield sources, you know, organic yield sources on chains that are not necessarily Ethereum. And if we trust that yield source and our community and our DAO trusts that yield source, we should be able to create a market around it, right? Because it's it's offering a better product to everybody in general. So... You know, that's kind of like where I see everything headed towards. Okay. I think one of my last questions, what do you think about regulation since you're in DeFi and DeFi is kind of in the crosshairs of regulators in the US? You guys are, I think you're based, you're incorporated in the US. Yep. Uh, okay. So you would know about these things. Like yeah. what's the TLDR? I think, you know, I, I think that regulation, like I think the government in the United States are, definitely supportive of innovation. It's actually, you know, you know, likewise in DeFi as well, I think they are pro-DeFi if done the right way. You know, I think there's a, you know, it, as long as your intentions are clear and your mythology towards developing is done in the right way, you know, you want to build decentralized DeFi protocol where everybody has, everybody ultimately makes the decisions on how things are done for your protocol and you're not selling a security, you're not doing anything crazy, you're not, you know, you're not creating an algorithmic stable coin that can go to zero and destroy a bunch of people and creating this fake investment product. Like I think those those type of builders paint a bad narrative and picture to regulators for for the rest of us. But I think some of the more legitimate ones, if you build the right way, I think the the government and the SEC and everybody is very supportive of that. Um, of course, they try to take as much of an approach towards learning about your protocol education as they possibly can. And I think as long as you're willing to educate and also like, hey, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing things. This is what we do. This is the protocol itself. We don't necessarily control the protocol. Um, and you just take like I said, take additional steps to educating people about what you're building. It builds confidence and they're confident that you're not doing anything crazy because for every one legitimate project, there's probably like 99 horrible ones out there. So, you know, just don't be that 99, right? Just build everything the right way. So I think 
that's kind of like my my approach on things just by you know attending some different conferences where it's around it's regulation based you know like it's a lot of like cftc a lot of sec people and you know they more than anything else i think they want to learn right they want to learn about what's happening and as long as you're you know of course sometimes they make rash decisions and you know they sanction specific things and you know maybe you know you kind of try to take both sides of the spectrum on that in terms of opinions but you know ultimately i do think that these kind of things regulations and uh you know compliance stuff it's it's necessary right if if for example i don't take an opinion on the on the tornado cash thing but for somebody who's afraid of getting into crypto seeing the sec take those type of actions makes it feel like if i know nothing about crypto and i see them starting to sanction specific things that they think is bad whether or not i whether or not it's bad it's besides the point seeing the sec take action makes me believe that the space is a little bit more legitimate because they are taking steps towards what they consider protecting users right we can argue all all day about whether or not their actions actually protect users but that's besides the point what i'm saying is the perspective of users that are afraid of coming into the space when they see people who have legitimacy who are the sec and the government start to take steps they believe is going to protect users i think then gives me even if it's like very minuscule it's still one step towards more trust in the entire space and legitimacy in this in the entire space as a whole and those kind of things will drive towards adoption so you know that's kind of like my thoughts on on regulations okay so it needs to be fought for and you need to educate these regulators but i kind of agree yeah once you have some clear guidelines and everything is more transparent on both sides you will it will probably be very beneficial. Exactly. It's like it's like what if what if the SEC decides tomorrow that that if you're caught rug pulling or creating a scam protocol, you have you're you're going to be fined a hundred million dollars and you're going to go to jail for forty years. So it's basically now me as a retail investor coming into the space. I know that more likely than not, I'm not going to be entering a scam protocol because if it is a scam protocol, that that founder is going to get prosecuted, right? Like. Like sometimes extreme measures like that just build so much trust to bringing in new users. So uh, I don't think like those kind of things are going to happen. But I think you know gradual steps, gradual steps into building more trust for the everyday user to come into crypto. Awesome, that sounds great. So you you guys are launching your V two in the next few months. Uh, your heads down building during this bear market. Where should people go and read about Element? Where should they read about you? I mean, I don't know. You, you don't want to be public, so oh, maybe no. they don't like, read about you. To, Just where should people go now and get more information did, is what um, I'm saying. You definitely check us out on, you know, we have we have a Twitter, Element underscore FI. We have uh, our website, of course, element.fi. Uh, we are going to be publishing a lot more educational content. I break down in terms of some of the mechanisms of v2 in the simplified version because like you mentioned you first time you went to the website you didn't understand what's going on and we realized that there's a lot of things that we could abstract away and simplify for users 
And so we're doing that now. We want to make things as relatable, as easy to understand as possible. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you know, our V2 is like 15, 16 different changes because we're always constantly thinking about how to innovate and build cool new things, you know? And so, you know, definitely check us out, especially on Twitter where we publish a lot of, you know, our material and think thinking around some of the DeFi stuff. Um, but yeah, definitely check us out. I mean, we are a very research-driven team. Um, so, you know, I think that's like the right approach towards building in this space. And so that's pretty much it. Do you offer... Um sticker windrush sticker packs for people who join the discord <laughs> so we're unfortunately out of stickers for windrush stickers but um you know come no, check like, us can out. people copy them easily on discord can oh yeah yeah them? they have like, the emojis they... yeah the emojis okay. are accessible well, okay, on the discard okay. that's all i wanted to know that's yeah, all i wanted if to you know. want if you want to actually get like an actual sticker i think they might have some at defcon so <laughs> if you go to defcon <laughs> all right cool Thanks, man. I really enjoyed the chat and hope to catch up with you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate being here. Awesome. Take um, care, man. Take care.